Hello, I'm Kathleen Hall, and this is The Way I See It. And my name is Bailey, John Bailey. Call me Bailey, and this is The Way I See It. Hello, Bailey. Hello again, Dr. Hall. How are you on this lovely day? Great. How are you on this lovely day, darling? I'm doing well, staying isolated, but uh, I'm here with you, so uh, that's good enough for me. (laughs) Me too, partner. Right on. Um, So I thought... Since we are in the middle, midst of this uh, pandemic, and you and I are considering COVID nineteen as our guru, mm-hmm, as mm-hmm. the our Buddhist friend suggested, instead of fighting it, we're going to take it as our teacher. So, in that, I think the second thing that we needed to talk about, be- besides the COVID nineteen and how it's affected our world, is fear, because that is the base fear that I mean, emotion. Mm-hmm. I believe that we are all experiencing right now. And again, I go back to FDR and what he said when he said there is nothing to fear but fear itself. Uh, I think it's a profound statement and I believe in it and have pretty much lived my life out of that. Um, because uh, and also we have a survey, by the way, this Chapman University has actually they do a regular American Fear Survey, if that's not interesting. And it shows that 60% of us fear inadequate funds for the future. 60% of us fear that loved ones uh, could die. That's one of our biggest fears. 60% fear that a loved one is seriously ill. And 50% fear total economic financial collapse. So I think it's interesting. The top fears we have are all happening right now. Isn't that interesting? This was 2018. And here we are in the midst of this. And every American fear isn't. Now, remember, COVID-19 as our guru, as our little friend told us. Isn't this interesting? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's crazy. Um, All of that has come to some sort of a fruition right now. Kind of. of, And and when I was researching what you and I were going to do on our podcast with fear, when I saw this study, I went, dear heaven, this is Mm -hmm. insane. It's it's check, check. Would really, um, I'm looking forward to uh, seeing the results from the 2020 to see what is different because it looks like these wow. right here are right. Uh, are um, individual centric aside from uh, economic financial collapse. But you know the first three that we just discussed: in- inadequate funds for the future, loved ones dying, loved ones seriously ill. That is unique to each individual person, and we've talked about how this has brought on a sense of community with all of this. Interesting to see what this year's survey results will be, how they shift, because I'm sure they will. But isn't it interesting, such individual fears, because of this virus, became non-individual, became that inner being that we talked about? Exactly, exactly. All of us, hitting all of us, it's pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, first I wanted to start out, my experience with fear was being uh, a financial person, uh, between Wall Street and Atlanta. And what I did was I, I worked with people for many years that were successful and we all started out kind of happy and cool and had families. And then I started seeing this destructive behavior begin, the drinking too much, drugs, affairs, spending money, going through cars and homes. And it was like every one ups person on what trips they were taking. And um, I, I kept looking at it and saying, wow, This is a byproduct of stress that all of this apparent destructive behavior. And then it hit me that 
it wasn't just me looking at my friends. I was doing the same thing. I was drinking more. Jim and I were having marriage problems, the kids, mm-hmm. everything. And then I realized that it, then I, you know, I love history. So I had read all of these great people and realized every single one of them literally walked into the face of fear and didn't see it as um, the devil or evil or ne- negative. They mm-hmm. saw it as something transmuting, something as a leader that they were challenged to work through. So, um, so anyway, for me, what changed my life was seeing a Thoreau statement talking about Walden Pond, as you and I often do. And Henry David Thoreau said, I went to the woods because I wished to live deliberately, to front only the essential facts of life and see if I could not learn what it had to teach and not when I came to die, discover that I had not lived. So when I read wow. that, I changed it, it in that second. It was like a lightning bolt second that I went, dear God, my biggest fear is being alone, having to uh, not have all these trappings of cars and intelligence and all this other stuff that you fight for every single day, status. And, um, and so my life was changed in that moment. And what I decided to do was instead of witnessing all of my friends and the people that I knew running away from it and creating lives to not face their fears, I uh, drew a circle and pretended it was my life, and I wrote down my largest fears. And um, and it was invaluable because some of my biggest fears were the fear of being poor because I grew yeah. up with not much, fear of being alone, which is you know pretty normal fear, fear of not being intelligent because it was part of my um, my big factor was I banked on my intelligence. I always knew more than everybody, studied more than everybody. And so the fear of that not being there was terrifying. Mm. Fear of not having status or power. That was my big, biggest, one of my biggest fears. And fear of losing my beauty and my fit body. You know, yoga every day, working out thin, attractive. Um, and so I was pretty much afraid of life. <laughs> I, I really was. So I said, you know what, I got to stop this crap. And so I did. I went to the woods. And, and in me saying that, I sold everything. As you all know the story, I went to the woods for a year by myself and, and did the Thoreau thing, lived in a cabin. But my my image of this now, though, in the midst of our guru Corona-19, COVID-19, excuse me, is we're all being sent to the woods. Get it? Oh, yeah. I did mine by choice, but we are all being called to Walden Pond. Isn't that cool? In a, yes. in a weird kind of guru way? In, in a weird, like almost twisted, but kind of cool, necessary way. Yes, totally. And, and isn't this interesting? Because listen, in Emerson and Thoreau's time, nature was the avenue to transcendence, to learn about yourself, right? Right, right. Where, where's really, besides our homes, where's the only place we can go? We can go to a, you know, right now, of course, the parks are beginning back open, but you can go for a walk go outside, go to your backyard. Do you, do you know what I mean? Right, is, right. It's pretty interesting that we're being driven to the metaphorical Walden Pond. Mm-hmm. Wow. Which we, which we left out for so long, it seems like. It seems like and, we and bury it, ourselves in ourselves. Not And remember, remember his quote, because I wished to live deliberately, to front only, listen to this, the essential facts of life. What are we fronting right now? Where are we going to get our food? Do we have jobs? What about our right. loved ones? Safety, what is isolation? Security, shelter, food in your belly, of course, yeah. 
and see if I could not learn what it had to teach, okay? Are we not being taught, like, if we're not absorbing these lessons, shame on us. Exactly. And not when I came to die, discovered that I had not lived. So why not shift our perspective? We're talking about fear today. That this is like the greatest gift, maybe in a weird, bizarre way. It's horrible what's going on. You and I are not discounting the hunger, the job loss, healthcare, people dying. It's horrible. Exactly. I mean, let's not, we're not sugarcoating this. It's, but we could, it could be a shift. You're absolutely right. It could be a, it could be a conduit for shift. Exactly. And so what I've done again is curated some of the, People that have talked about how to move from fear to fearlessness. One is um, uh, Gustavo Rossetti, and he talks about instead of avoiding fear, why not take it like you're asking someone to dance? Like, remember when you and I were at parties or things when people were together, like in the old days? Mm-hmm. And if you saw somebody across the thing and you said, I want to ask them to dance, and they may reject me, you know, they may be a horrible dancer, whatever happens, but I'm going to take that risk. Could you remember being a teenager and how terrifying that was? Oh, uh, yes. And I've had it go both ways. I've been rejected. (laughs) 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 But every time you uh, get the rejection, um, it actually it actually emboldened me for the next. It was like, well, you know, I didn't it wasn't the end of the world. It was just no. So it empowers you for the next time. You know, exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. So I, I like that. I, I, don't you like that? Do you like the image of dancing with fear instead of running or avoiding it or negotiating with it? Or Oh, of course. I think I think that's a huge thing. I mean, I think that's that's going to be a constant thing for people. I think that you're always going to have this fear in your life. But I think it's important to uh, uh, embrace it, acknowledge it. Um, and dance with it in this metaphor, for sure. Yeah, and, 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 and fear is an essential human emotion. And I have I've been a student of Joseph Campbell's, and of course in spirituality you can't do research and do everything without Joseph Campbell staring you in the face. And of course his whole, uh, one of the essences of his life work, life's work is the hero's journey. And what he does is he studies epic journeys of all of these heroes and sheroes that we read about in the stories and this archetypal pattern, and every one of them, whether it's Superman, whether it's the Game of Thrones, whatever epic story that you're going to hear about, um, David and Goliath, anyone, there is always fear. There is the fear, and, and they all navigate it in different ways but in a similar way. That's why if you have, if any of you have not read any of, of Joseph Campbell's, the hero's journey, it's fascinating because it is an algorithm. It's it, even though Disney has made God knows how many movies out of hero's journeys, right? Mm-hmm. Aladdin, any of them, any oh, of yeah. them, they, it's the same story that there is tremendous fear and loss like Bambi. Okay. And how do you navigate um, Dumbo, you know, all of theirs is about loss or fear that these creatures transmute. Mm-hmm. And when they do, there is a tool, there's a holy grail, there's a secret potion, there's a practice, there's a way that they navigate their fear, which is what we all have to realize. Each one of us are on a collective right now, hero's journey, right? And on, a, on that inner being thing, we're all together. Right. But also on an individual of how are we going to navigate our fears? 
mm-hmm. because because they're real. They're, it, it's not something that's in a book. It's it isn't some mythical journey. It's actually happening to us now. And I think one of the big things I talk about this in stress as being a stress uh, expert is we have to realize that fears are as individual as stress is. So, um, for an example, somebody like me, if, if Dr. Oz calls me again and says, come up and be on my show again, or the Today Show or CNN or all the stuff I do, um, I'd immediately go, yeah, and you know me, I get pumped up, love it, love to give a speech in front of 2,000 people, whereas mm-hmm. somebody else may have a little panic or go, oh, my God, I could see I'm that. on it. Yeah, I'm on and off camera in three minutes. What am I going to do? What am I going to wear? So, uh, and, and an example, police officers, physicians, um, every one of us are different and we see things as either stressful or fearful or not. So mm-hmm. I think to have reverent respect for each other, we have to realize that our fears are different. Right, right. Now, I you think... don't... Go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, no, no, a no. universal fear, of course, is fear of death, which should be. That's that's what I was going to say. I, we are right on the same wavelength and we're also being overly polite. We're like, no, you, you. I love that. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, yeah, of course. I just like you said, there are universal fears, but I think the the um, the unique ones are the ones that are, uh, like I said, unique to individuals. And those are the ones where we can show empathy for others in that respect. Totally. I love that we're on the same page. Yeah, and I love that. Uh, for an example, I'm married to somebody who was raised in a very intact family, mm-hmm. two children, socioeconomic stability, small town, right? He was, from the time he got off the nipple, he was raised to know that he was intelligent, a doctor, get it, blah, blah, blah. Right, I don't want to so, say blah, blah, blah. So you but, guys bring but, different fear to the table. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. And and for me, it was survival, you know, whether it was abuse or poverty or whatever. So we have very, very, very different fear titers. And mm-hmm. it's made me have reverent respect for all people, all people, because it's so vast and so different, such a different landscape. But most people try to hide from their fear. They run away from it by filling it with events or possessions or relationships. And they believe the fear is going to go away. And that's why I know you've seen this, where people go through serial jobs or serial relationships over and over. And they think it's the person or they think it's me working at Coke instead of Pepsi. You know, but they're and then I'll work for Mountain Dew, but it's still the same beverage thing, right? Conglomerates. And you blame it on each company or I blame it that, God, I was with Bailey and it didn't work. And I was with Jim and it didn't work. And, 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 and again, whatever it is, it's going to keep bringing itself up. It's like a little green eyed monster, bigger and bigger, the more that you try to control it and reject Mm -hmm. it. And, and I call it like an alarm. You can try to, you you know, the alarm goes off and you, you kind of silence it by whether you buy something more or do something or take a trip or whatever you do. That's what I call silencing it as you divert yourself. Right, right. But, uh, you know, you know, an alarm only goes to sleep for nine minutes. So it will come back. (laughs) (laughs) But actually, you know, and again, it it can be a gift or it can cause great suffering, as we know, which are most things. Mm -hmm. And and fear restricts our lives. lives. It really imprisons us. It's a tremendous tool of oppression. Um, And people that are hungry for power over other people, of course, they exploit fear. It, It can make us act out of fear. Um, and again, some of the most things that we're afraid of is uh, fear of death or fear of being rejected, uh, fear of speaking up. That's one of the biggest things we're afraid of. 
And we're afraid of failing. We're afraid of confronting who we really are. Uh, and again, I can go back to me going to the woods to live deliberately. I didn't know who I was. I mean, fear of being who I really was was, who is that? Mm-hmm. And um, you can even be afraid of being happy. That somebody yeah. like me that worried about survival every day of my life, that when things were happy, even with two beautiful children and a husband, I was miserable because I was waiting for the next shoe to fall. Right. I would keep thinking, you know, I know it's around the corner. It always is. I know it is. Mm-hmm. It's, and um, it, uh, oh, I'm sorry to interrupt. I was just curious. No, go ahead. No, at go what ahead. age when you went into the woods, how old were you? Were you in your 20s? No, 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 no. I, I was uh, 38. 35, 38, something like that. Your perspective on fear is very interesting to me because yours stems from the, you know, your upbringing and, um, and, you know, fear, it's, it's, it's a common thread in humanity because fear is what kept early humans alive. You know, if you see a tiger running after you, you're afraid and you run from it. And, um, as a survival tool, it's a very basic, primal level. And whereas someone who had, uh, you know, kind of a semi-charmed type of upbringing like myself or maybe Jim, it's, it's, uh, it doesn't surprise me that you uh, overcame your fears because your initial fear was on that primal survival level. And I find that to be kind of an interesting thing. And it also makes me, um, before I went on this journey, it also makes you feel like you uh, weren't born with the right genes, like other people mm-hmm. that are successful. So you can imagine being in a marriage with someone so confident and loving and balanced inherently and everything else. Way too. Inherently a- a- that a- way. Appearingly, you know, inherent. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. That it always makes you deficient that something's wrong. Right. Um, and also, I think that, but see, that's, as you well know, what led me into my work, whether it's stress or with uh, dealing with death and dying and dealing with the poorest of the poor or disadvantaged kids or abused animals. It's been a gift, do you see, of right. total compassion and understanding and joining people where they are in their mm-hmm. suffering. And I think it's also important that there are disguises of fear. So fear just isn't showing up with what, you know. Uh, palms and your heart racing and sweating or going to a bar and getting drunk. It can be masqueraded like is is indecision, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, anger. That's another way that it is Uh, procrastination, putting something off because I'm afraid of when I finish this project, what's next or, or if I finish this, you know, will I be a success or a failure? Right. Uh, And you and I both have known sarcasm and cynical people. A lot of theirs is driven by fear of being their authentic self. <laughs> Did I just see you point to yourself? Oh yeah, that is a that is a defense mechanism for for Bailey, for sure. The sarcasm that that can definitely be a, a distraction for people so they don't see what I'm really feeling. I can openly admit that. I love it. I love it. And lack of motivation when I see people because I'm so ridiculously motivated and I'll go, what is, you know, I get frustrated uh, in here. <laughs> this is to- my total projection. I get it right. is lack of lack of motivation instead of me turning to my compassion and self. What are they afraid of? You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I need to do that more. And um, victimhood. Oh, my God. My mother lived as the Catholic martyr. She saw that saints were martyrs. So she was going to live in this horrendous relationship for 25 years of our life as the victim driven by total fear 
driven mm-hmm. by fear. But at the time when you're growing up as a child, you don't see it as fear. You just see it as, oh, my God, there's this victim running around. Right. And another big one, I think, is uh, perfectionism. Many of us, myself included, being perfect uh, the way that I looked, our home, the girls, gym, everything had to be perfect. Because if it wasn't, my huge fear was they would see the reality of, of uh, who maybe I really was or whatever. I think perfectionism is such a tragic disease. I think that that can that can go as far as relationships, the status of your house, that type of stuff. But I think it can also permeate into small things such as projects, because one thing I've uh, realized is I will use, you know, the perfectionism and procrastination. You know, sometimes they can coincide with uh, specific projects where it's like, uh, oh, this needs to be absolutely perfect. So I'll just put it off until it can be perfect. That's um that's an example I feel like in myself personally where procrastination and perfection intersect mm-hmm. because of that fear. Yeah, and especially, and being a woman, uh, the weight issue, when I I looked at, uh, I was looking for a file the other day and I saw New Year's resolutions back in 1987, 1990, and it was hilarious that one of my New Year's resolutions every time was like maintain weight 120 the next year, maintain weight at 118. You know, I laughed when I saw, but, oh, but wow. almost, but almost sadly, I was grieving thinking of bless my heart that the perfectionistic benchmark of exactly my identity was tied to that. Was how how tragic. Wow, oh, it's so sad. Yeah. And I was raised with a very beautiful model like mother who was always thin and beautiful and everything. And when we would go anywhere, if she saw somebody who looked disheveled or looked heavy or whatever, you know, it was a sign of less than. So anyway, it was this, this whole thing of us, you and I doing this fear thing today has been such a gift because yeah. yes, COVID-19 is our, can be our guru too. Uh, and us talking about this fear. Exactly. And, and, and you and I talked about, isn't it wonderful if we could have an approach of dancing with fear, asking it to dance, or another one I love, uh, which, again, very many spiritual people say fear is an invitation to you, to the bigger depths mm. of yourself. Mm-hmm. And and it's a fear is a way to enter your depth. It, and it's a key to your true self. It's a key to free. It's a key to freedom to get you from bondage. To find your call, it's a way to get you in your journey of life is is um, the invitation of fear. So um, what I'd like to do is maybe mention some very illustrious people in their um, strategies to dance with fear or as an invitation. Let's do it. So one is my teacher, who's been a teacher of mine for over 25 years, Thich Nhat Hanh, and he is a South Vietnamese Buddhist monk who was nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize by Martin Luther King Jr., Um, and I was very, very blessed to meet him and, uh, became a student of his and he has taught me, uh, much, much, much about life, but he talks about fear as a teacher. Okay. And again, kind of like a guru and he says, face your fear mindfully, capture your, and and these are some tips. Um, when was the last time you sat down and took a look at your fear? So it says, you know, take. He, he suggests take down, sit down, uh, get some post-it notes, uh, 
and put each individual fear on a post-it note and write each one down and don't feel paralyzed, uh, kind of flow with it or laugh. And, and the reason that he suggests this psychologically is if you make a long list of your fears, mm-hmm. you can just, you can just go, whoa, run out of paper. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> run out of paper, man. <laughs> Whereas if there's a thing of post-it notes, it's like a staccato, you know, like, boom, boom, boom. Um, metaphor. It, yeah, it, it, it's, it's, um, and, and again, you can even do different colors if you want of post-it notes. So, um, anyways, this way you don't get as paralyzed or panicked. And, and for each one, just be compassionate and go, wow, that, I wrote that down. That's amazing. And with each one, maybe invite the fear kind of like a conversation. And, um, and the next step is to understand your fear. Um, remember fear is stress. So when you feel out of control, you're more stressed. When you feel in control, you feel less stressed. So when you're writing these down on these things, it's more in control, like, wow, this is clarity. Mm -hmm. So what are you afraid of? Realizing you're out of control is one of the biggest lessons. And don't let your emotions cloud your visions. Uh, Next is embrace uncertainty. What's your fear telling you? Unfortunately, our brain is wired to seek certainty, right? Like we said, if the number one fear is survival, food, clothing, Mm -hmm. Maslow's hierarchy of needs, then our brain is wired to seek certainty. I mean, it's the way we are. So there's nothing wrong with you or I or anything about being human. Look at an animal. Look at your dog or your cat. They're also wired to seek certainty. We all are for survival. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, our brains don't like wait and see. No, not not fans of that. <laughs> yeah, our our brains don't like dark rooms with boo. <laughs> no, no, they like uh, daisy fields and uh, sunshine and rainbows. <laughs> so, I I and I made this up after after reading uh, Thich Nhat Hanh's advice on fear. I I I thought of this last night. It was I called it the three C's. So for all those little post-it notes. Why don't we just do the three C's? First is curiosity. Like look at one and go, wow, I'm really afraid of the dark. That's kind of interesting. Or mm-hmm. I'm afraid of, I'm af- really afraid of snakes or bugs. Or mm-hmm. I'm really, listen, you know, Andrea, our, our friend. Yeah. I, I, and you know, I'm a bird freak, right? I join every Audubon society. I rescue birds. Oh my you know, gosh, I just, she afraid of birds? Yeah. She's terrified of birds. So I wow. just went, wow. But I'm using that as an example. Like, right, isn't that just right. kind of interesting post-it notes that if each of us during this COVID-19 thing could go into each other's house and see our post-it notes? Right. And, kind of, and I think that's a case of individuality of fear, you know, where it's like, you know, somebody could be like, oh, my God, it's a bird. But I would be like, it's a bird. OK, that's I think that's great. And I think that's why we should approach it with compassion, because. Right. And, and I got to tell you, so our, our daughter, as you well know, we have two daughters, one daughter um, we haven't seen in a very long time and we won't go into it right now. We'll do a, maybe we'll do a podcast one time on estrangement, but it's been very beyond painful. So I was so overwhelmed with fear at one Christmas because it had just happened and, and fear of losing her and fear. It brought up all my other fears and panic attacks. And after having a zillion years of psychotherapy and, you know, we don't drink and I meditate, I did everything right, check the checklist and everything that I had feared had happened. So that year... <laughs> For the Christmas tree, you know, my morose <laughs> sense uh-huh. of humor. Oh, yeah. So so what I did was I got a bunch of post-it notes and I made the Christmas tree of my fears. So each post-it note was, 
fear of rejection, fear. Mm-hmm. And, and I put lights around it on a, on a Christmas oh, wow. tree. Yeah, that's I wonder dancing if, with fear. I wonder, if, I wonder if Jesus liked me that Christmas. But what it was, was I said, I'm tired of hiding. I'm coming out of the closet. Mm. And, and so what was the cool thing was almost being so human. And a tree is a sign of life, as you well know. And um, life-giving, I went, okay, I, I'm really going to deal with this stuff. But, so this post-it note is bringing up that Christmas for me. Mm. And what I did, though, was I was in the midst of, Thich Nhat Hanh being my teacher. And so, like he said, be curious about it. So number one was curiosity. And the second one, which is huge, and you just mentioned this, compassion. Compassion, ah, okay. compassion. That this whole tree was loaded with my color, which was, I think, pink. And then Jim's color for his fears was green. And I think he only had two Post-it notes on, <laughs> on the tree. <laughs> he was, what, afraid that... um. Af- uh, I I was about to make a joke like afraid like the NFL got canceled, but like the NFL got canceled. Is he so <laughs> bummed about that? By the way, Just yeah, you mean be, being the the sports betting and yeah, and sports he's just so freak that he is. Sports is okay. Is he okay, just so, so bummed. Well, you know him. So number one is that. Two is is the financial markets. You know, he's such a he is. He's a fine. He's genius math mind. He does right. all these derivatives and analytical stuff three is medicine because he's a doctor Mm -hmm. so all that's changed and then he worships me so and his daughter so us getting covid or something get it right so you're right this is really all of us isn't it isn't Mm -hmm. this just amazing yeah so so curiosity compassion and my third c was contemplation or mindfulness Mm. that you're going to have physical reactions to this this is what i do for a living Blood pressure, heart rate, your your coagulation, your sed rate changes, your immune system. So you gotta whether it's meditating, whether it's going to our site, themindfullivingnetwork.com, and you know watching, it, going to the meditation room and doing a meditation, or whether you go to our live cams that are on like Tahoe, whatever you're doing to relax, you have got to break this uh, stress response, okay? Mm-hmm. Because that will kill you. So. Curiosity, three C's. Curiosity. Oh, I'm afraid. Well, that's interesting. I'm afraid of a bird or whatever it is or being poor. Second, compassion. Wow, the whole world's feeling this. I'm not the only one. And third, and more community, inner being. And then the third is contemplation. Like, I'm going to unplug from this and relax and go to Lake Tahoe for two minutes and go to the Mindful Living Network. Or I'm going to go through the uh, aquarium in Chicago right now. Mm-hmm. You know, or I even did added, uh, I'm, I grew up on farmland in Ohio. So on our um, create your own adventure section, I even did how to, how, I went to farms where they farm cranberries or blueberries or avocados, you know, so that people can see how you farm. Right. You know, yeah, I love that. So, yeah. So it's like, and I like that it was create your own adventure. Anyway, so contemplation is huge because that brings you back into yourself into mm-hmm. your quiet, peaceful self. So, um, and, and, and continuing and finishing with Thich Nhat Hanh, I think this is really important. And if you do anything today, anybody listening to this, please get Thich Nhat Hanh's book. It's called Fear, Essential Wisdom for Getting Through the Storm. And his, the way his name is spelled is T-H-I-C-H-N-H-A-T-H-A-N-H. One of the greatest souls that ever came through our universe that graced our universe, not just planet Earth. Fear. 
And so what he does is he says that fear, of course, is your teacher, each of our teachers. And um, what he does is he believes fear is an invitation. And so what he suggests, suggests we do, and I do this all the time, is he calls it a fear practice. And he said, pretend that your fear is a baby. And now imagine being in a nursery, okay, which is either your bedroom or your house and you, and the baby's crying in the crib. That's your fear. And so it's crying, crying. And what do you do? You walk over to the crib and do you ignore it? No. Do you douse it with water? No. It's a baby. So he uses the image of fear as a baby. It keeps screaming. So you go, oh my God, I got to check on this baby. So you pick up the baby and you go, oh, it's diapers wet. Is it cold? Is it hungry? Right. You go through an algorithm of what's wrong. Right. So that's what he tells you to do is pick up the baby, your fear, go sit in the rocking chair, metaphorically or real in the corner. I have a rocking chair that I literally sit in Mm -hmm. and sit there with your fear and put it in a yellow or blue or or, um, pink blanket, whatever makes you feel good. And you rock this fear. And then it quits crying and it gets quiet and you listen to it. And the baby slash fear will tell you, I'm wet, I'm hungry, I'm cold. Mm -hmm. But you have to listen to the baby with compassion, with love, and also with the three C's. You're curious, very curious. You're um, compassionate and you're very contemplative. You're rocking back and forth with the squeak of the rocking chair. Mm-hmm. So, and he said that the baby quits crying and it will give you all kind of information, but you must love your fear. You must treat it like a screaming baby because it's giving you information and it wants to grow. It wants you to grow just like that baby. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. it, and, it, and if you don't listen to the baby, what will it do? It'll keep screaming in the crib, right? And it will starve or get a rash from. So I love the metaphor for me because when I'll never forget when he gave this metaphor to teaching, I was there in his presence and I just burst out crying. I was at the back and I'll never forget as long as I live. And there were two nuns, Roman Catholic nuns that I went with were sitting right and left of me. And one held my hand and the other patted my knee because all I could think of was growing up Catholic, you know, fear or anger, all these things were like the devil or evil you know, mm. and you went to confession and you cast them out or you, you, right. know, you know what I mean? Yeah, they were yeah. other. And exactly. all of a sudden, my world was turned upside down by this sweet, precious teacher saying, no, this is a part of you, just like the air you breathe. You can embrace you know? this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fear and love are who we'd be as human beings. Mm-hmm. Anger, anger is the secondary emotion that rises right. out of fear. Exactly. So the two emotions are fear and love. And only when you can love this baby can you move on. So, um, and I hope that anybody listening to this, it can be transformational to them mm-hmm. to actually imagine a different, a completely different kind of approach. What do you think? You haven't said anything. Well, it's because I think that's uh, a great point because, you know, uh, a baby needs you, a baby is dependent upon you. You know, it's, it's just out there. And I think, and the baby, to, and the baby comes, has come out of the baby. A baby has come out of you, right? right exactly. It's you. Exactly. Yes, it's yeah, another so it form is a full of you. Circle situation. So that's why I think that's a really great representation of it because um, it kind of humanizes it in that way. Totally. 
And um, okay, so to shift pages a little, a friend of mine, Carolyn Gregory, who writes for the Huffington Post, and she and I have worked together on, <laughs> I can't even tell you, innumerable articles on stress and anxiety and all kinds of things. But she wrote an article on the science of conquering your fears. And I thought this was interesting. She um, did some scientific research and said there are six tried and true ways to deal with your fear. And of course, first is acknowledging them. Remember our little post-it stamps that we talked about? Mm -hmm. And hers is expose yourself to the fear. When it comes to the fear, expose yourself to it. Now, for me, doing the therapy and the experience I've had uh, in my life, which is a lot, dealing with all kinds of people, she says that exposure is hands down the most successful way to deal with fear. Well, I think that's fine and dandy, but you better be careful. For an example, if I have a fear of a snake or <laughs> if I have a fear of my father because he abused me horrendously or a rapist or do you see what I mean? Oh, yeah. It, yeah, can, can... Yeah, it, it, it can be PTSD and it can be overwhelming. So it's there's a little bravado, in my opinion, of that. You know, right. Just I think you need walk, to be kind of self-aware of. Yeah. Uh huh. Maybe start uh, with uh, a rubber snake and then move on <laughs> to the real snake. And a you rubber know. dad and a rubber exactly, exactly. teacher or the things that my, have affected yeah. you. <laughs> right. You follow my train of thought. Go to FedEx or UPS and get a cardboard, you know, yeah, stand like up thing of the person yeah. cut out thing. I got you. I like it. So, I, so when you come over to my house next time, I'll just have a whole room filled of, of cardboard figures so you can just <laughs> snakes, reptiles, <laughs> people. <laughs> and then I'm at the corner uh, like, with well, an Dr. old... Dr. Hall is really bumming because uh, she's uh, right. in self-isolation. She's got a whole group R of friends. So. Right. And, and, and after 35 years, I'll be in the corner with my, John, my old Johnny Walker Black and just going, <laughs> Bailey, it didn't work. <laughs> I tried I, I tried step two, honey, and it just friggin' it. didn't work. And and next is is think positive. We know positive works for everything. I mean being mm -hmm. optimistic, but that's a hard lots of times with with that. Next is managing your stress. We know that. I, I mentioned, you know, how self-care, you have to relax, mindfulness. And um and then the next that she suggests is practice courageous acts. And again, it is. It's like a muscle. So don't think you're going to jump into these fears of whatever you're going through right now, especially with this COVID-19 and that you're going to just emerge like some Olympic swimmer. Right. Any of any of us. And you know me very well. Where I am right now has taken many, 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 many years. And whether it's been therapy, spiritual teachers living with Aboriginal tribes, um, lots of healing work. Uh, lots of education, my God, the teachers that I owe my life to. This is not a turn on a light switch thing. So please, I have no bravado about this. This is a very tender, loving, lifelong mm -hmm. journey. So um, I think a lot of people that write about this, they uh, and aren't doing this as their life's work can see it as a very, you know, scientific method methodological thing to do. Yeah, but uh, I agree there's a little bit more nuance maybe than what people would realize. Exactly. And so next is a man named Hendrik Edberg, and he wrote uh, Strategies to Overcome Fear. And uh, just the six, he talks about six uh, destructive and fear-inducing thoughts. And very quickly, you keep the fear foggy and undefined. That is so true. 
when it's foggy and you can't figure out what your fear is, um, you're not going to really be able to work through it. But the key is to sit with it, like rocking the baby, and it, I promise you it'll become more clear. Mm-hmm. You know, Rock that baby, listen to it, love it, be kind and compassionate to yourself, and that will bring clarity out of your fuzziness. Um, and next is to, uh, to keep the fear inside of yourself. So many of us are ashamed of our fears that we live in the cloud of shame, which I was. I looked so freaking good on the outside in my life, mm-hmm. looked so good. I was like, no one knows that my life is fearful. It's one massive fraud. So there's an insanity and a paralyzing and a horror because the bigger life you build, the more paralyzing and fearful you are. Mm-hmm. And so therefore comes the drinking, apparent behavior, perfectionism, all the stuff that deconstruct your life. So the biggest healing thing about that is sharing. And I think whether you start sharing in your own private journal, then you share with a friend that you trust or a partner. Uh, I think one of the greatest things is uh, telepsychotherapy. Now you can do it on, you know, on FaceTime, you can do it on Zoom. Mm-hmm. You can, yep. and especially in these times, I think, and there, there are prorated people, so you don't have to spend a lot of money, lots of time, or, or spiritual people or community centers will do it online. Um, but my, mine is please share it because it's amazing the freedom and the mental health and the clarity you get when you share it with somebody else because um, they, they're trained, they have a lot more experience. But even if it's somebody you love to, to watch them, uh, it changed our marriage uh, tremendously. When I told my husband what I was afraid of, he started crying and he said, you're just so strong and powerful. I just never dreamed this, never dreamed it in my life. So it changes everything. Exactly. And I don't think there's any, any shame in uh, yoking up with someone to carry some of that burden, whether it be a mental health professional or someone that's in your inner circle. Exactly. And the next thing he says is uh, focus on what's keeping you stuck. What's keeping you stuck? For me, I was making lots of money in Wall Street and financial world. So I was like, oh, my God, if I really change my life, I'm going to be poor. Everything I'm going to fear, everything I feared is going to come true. Jim's going to leave me because he's going to think I'm a failure. Um, So just you have to focus on what's keeping you stuck and have the courage and support Please to say, hey, what have I got to lose? I'm living an insane life of quiet desperation, and I deserve more. Right. And lots of times when you're living in your own cocoon, too, you're um, misrepresenting the information you have because it's coming out of fear and cloudiness. So when you talk to somebody else, read a new book like this fear book by Thich Nhat Hanh. When you and I are doing this podcast, you get fresh eyes on your fear. And that's healing and gives you a different perspective. I think that's so important. And another one is um, pushing your fears away. Uh, Those of us that have tried to drink them away, exercise them away and get thinner, you can get paralyzed and that takes you nowhere. That's one thing that I think a lot of people struggle with. I think uh, a lot of people... um, and all you do is you you prolong attacking it or rocking the baby, so to speak. Um, all, all that is is a delay to what needs to happen. And whenever I uh, I've I've plenty of friends who deal with addiction, and um, and I've had friends who have confronted that, and the 
sooner you confront it, the sooner you can sidestep all of that delay and get to the part to where you can dance with your fear. Isn't it the truth? Mm-hmm. And then finally, this person says, uh, momentum is important, and I couldn't agree more, that the minute you take one small action, whether it's the post-it note, whether it's calling a, a friend, whether it's Zooming a therapist, whatever tactic it takes, there's a momentum, okay? It's like building a muscle. You start, it's kind of like me um, getting on my exercise machine last night, and then my arms hurt this morning and my belly... I am building muscle and it feels a little bad because I've been out of shape with this whole COVID thing and a bunch of other stuff. So it feels weird at the beginning, but no, you, you know, have confidence. You're building momentum and it's like building a muscle, just like rebuilding your body. Exactly. Exactly. And, and I would, and I would say finally, when we're talking about fear, please remember that the greatest energy depleter in your life is fear and the most powerful energizing thing that you can possibly do is love so when you think about it please realize that it is sucking like a parasite fear is sucking the life out of you but in the same vein realize it's 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 a gift in a very strange way because it's driving you to the energizer the bunny energizer of love Mm -hmm. i mean People want more. If you ask what people want more than anything, even more than de-stressing, they want energy. And and zillions of people, whether it's caffeine, amphetamines, cocaine, drugs, food, exercising, they want energy. And and the divine source of energy is love. It, it's it's the huge, the, the largest one. I wish I could uh, bottle that and filter water through it and drink that instead of coffee every morning. Oh God! Don't take away my coffee. Oh, yeah. You have a problem then. <laughs> Fear me without coffee. <laughs> and 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 in and, and closing this, whether it's uh, the Mindful Living Network as a resource or whether it's the Stress Institute that we have, that um, there are questions there. There are resources for meditation. There's all kinds of information on stress. You can write us. But um, during this time of, of a pandemic of fear, which a lot of us people in the mental health care field are calling it worse than the biological disease of the pandemic is the fear pandemic. Mm -hmm. So that's why I felt that it was really, really important that we talk about fear and open up the conversation and maybe shift it as a guru, as fear as an invitation, fear as a key to come out of our prison and explore ourselves. And, and if we normalize it that we're all here in the midst of this sea of fear, it's pretty cool because we can be honest about it and not have any bit of shame about it, none. Exactly, and show each other compassion in the same vein. And I'll go back to the story about the man being in, in um, and this was in another podcast, the man in the food line, and his children were hungry in the back seat, and he got his boxes of food, and... And the reporter said, um, well, how do you feel? And he said, well, my children will have warm food tonight. And, and I'm really happy. And he whispered and he said, I only have, I have $100 left in my bank account. Mm. And I'm really scared. And when he said that, I told you that I wept. Um, because he had the power, though, to talk about his fear in front of millions of people that were going to watch that on the evening news. Right. I so have that's a perfect one, example. Oh, oh, 
I have one, I, I, I can't even tell you, I'm going to start to cry, how that affected me, that he, he was so bold mm-hmm. and so honest with all of us to say that. It was just such a heart-rendering moment for me, uh, who has, he took pride, fear, anything he had, and just was vulnerable and humble. Right. What a great example. What a great example. Okay, guys, uh, that'll be all for today. Thank you so much for joining us, um, especially during this time. I hope that uh, it was illuminating our talk on fear, and I hope that uh, our hope is that you end up dancing with the fear in the end. Um, Make sure to check us out on the web at MindfulLivingNetwork.com. It's just been recently renovated, and you can find a lot of great tools there. Our podcast is only one click away from the homepage. And feel free to contact us on social media, on Instagram and Facebook. And also, if you want to contact us directly at info at MindfulLivingNetwork.com, we'd love to hear from you, especially if you have uh, future episode ideas. My name is Bailey, and this was The Way I See It. And my name is Dr. Kathleen Hall. Thank you for joining us. And please remember, as FDR said so many years ago, the only thing to fear is fear itself. And we are all in this together. Um, We love you. We are here to serve you, especially during this time. So let us hear from you. Thank you so much for joining us.